0: We're going to draw our text today from the book of Exodus, From the book of Exodus, and we're going to the third chapter, and I just want to kind of lead up to where we're going to take our text today, but <clears throat> the third chapter of the book of Exodus is a, is a very important chapter to us as children of God that believe We are grafted into the vine because this is literally the beginning of the ball rolling, so to speak, of the Exodus account of the children of Israel walking out. It's in Exodus 3 that Moses is keeping his father-in-law Jethro's sheep, and he's on the backside of a desert when all of a sudden he sees a bush that is burning yet is not consumed. And there is a voice that comes speaking out of that bush and says to him, take your shoes off. Because you are standing on the holy ground. And the Lord says to him, he says, I want you to go back to Egypt. And I want you to tell them, tell Pharaoh, to let my people go. And Moses asked him the question. He said, well, who can I tell him sent me? You know, you don't just walk into Pharaoh and say, hey, big daddy. I got news for you today. We're fixing to walk up out of here. He said, what, what, should I, what should I do? Who should I say sent me? And the Lord said, you, you just tell him, in verse 14, I am that I am. Thou, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Now, these words, I am, they're interesting because in the English, it's certainly to us, it's... In present tense I am right now and that's that's peaceful enough for the Lord to say I am whatever you need right now I am but if you understand this context it's actually a continual thing it's not just I am it's that not only am I but I shall continue to be and the Lord was saying when he said you go tell Pharaoh and the children of Israel Who told you to come? He said, basically, you're going to tell him the one that is and that shall be. That's who sent me. The one that is, the one that was, the one that is to come. That's who has sent me. And so today, he's not just what you need right now. He's a God that continues to be what you need. Verse 15, God said, moreover unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, ...hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together... ...and say unto them... ...the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob... ...appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you... ...and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said... I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. I want everybody to say those names without looking down at your Bible right now. You got it? (laughs) Unto a land that flows with milk and honey, the promised land. And they shall hearken to thy voice and shall... Come, thou and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt. And you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us go, we beseech thee. Somebody say three days. Three days days journey. Three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, I want to talk to you today from a simple subject that I hope you're able to receive into your spirit the way the Lord has spoken to my heart. But I just feel like letting you know that God has a plan. God has a plan. And he is not surprised. He's not caught off guard with where you are today. God has a plan. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I got a feeling. Everything's going to be all right. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. I want to preach to you this morning, God has God has a plan. I, uh, I've been studying this week quite a bit in the Old Testament. It's uh, the 18th of this month began uh, Rosh Hashanah. And uh, this is the Feast of the Trumpets for the, the Jewish people. And uh, uh, it doesn't mean a whole, whole lot to you until you start recognizing the power of the feasts and the tabernacle plan and all that the Lord has. They're, the feasts are not, if you read your scripture, they are not the feast of the Jews. They are feasts of the Lord. And it's because they line up with the Lord's calendar and he has some pretty amazing things in his word if we are hungry enough to follow after that. And when you start comparing the biblical language to Rosh Hashanah, the the feast of trumpets and coming into the 10 days of of awe, and then the day of atonement at uh, Yom Kippur. And it's just it's so powerful. But right now, the amazing thing about. Rosh Hashanah is that uh, there is one blast of the shofar that kind of matters the most to our vernacular and what, what we're thinking and what we're speaking right now, and that will be the last blow of the shofar, and it is called the last trump. Could you imagine if during the Feast of Trumpets at the last trump, the New Testament says that at the last trump, that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel. Can you imagine if this week, while we're preparing our hearts every day in the word and every day in prayer, if the Lord were to happen to look over at that archangel that's going to come with a message on his tongue and say, you know, I had thought in my mind about waiting until the Feast of Trumpets in 2021. But there is a desperation in the cry of my people. Could you imagine if this last trump were really the last trump? Could you imagine if this was the last trumpet sound? Can you imagine what it's going to be like on that getting up morning when he steps out on a cloud and the angel of the Lord steps out and He says, come on up just a little bit higher. Come on. Come on up out of your grief. Come on up out of your pain. Come on up out of your struggling. Come on. Come on up out of pandemic. Come on up out of panic. Come on. Get up out of that spirit of fear. I believe, I believe, I believe that the Lord is coming. I believe that the Lord is coming. But I started all of that to tell you that just in my... Time with the Lord this week and in personal study, I've been going through the feasts and praying about the feasts and direction from the Lord and just seeking comparing New Testament and Old Testament because it's like love and marriage. You can't have one without the other. If you've got the Old Testament without the New Testament, then you don't understand this side of the Messiah. And if you've got this side of the Messiah without the Old Testament, then you don't understand that unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government's on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. So on this side, people are trying to figure out who he is uh, without the Old Testament. But all we've got to do is look at the Old Testament know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob robed himself in flesh to become <laughs> Messiah for us. And we're thankful to know today that we're not just a distant relative of the family of God, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I'm glad to tell you today you are not a stepchild of heaven. You are not an orphan of heaven. You're not just somebody that the Lord's gonna go ahead and accept to come on in. I feel like telling you this morning you are a child of God. You've been grafted into the vine. You've been brought into the covenant of Abraham. We are the children
1: of God and I praise him for it today. I'm glad to tell you when I get to heaven we're gonna sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Moses and Elijah and Elisha.
0: Praise God. I feel like we've got more to go to heaven for today than we've ever had. Amen. I want to go to heaven today. I want to be ready to meet the Lord. But all of that is predicated not on what God has to do but what i have to do i feel that it needs to be very clear today that god has done everything he can do to be sure that you're saved god's done everything he could do to provide a way for you to be saved i ask you that if calvary is not
1: enough what else is it going to take if the blood of calvary is not enough what else is it going to take and hey man, if the power of the Holy Ghost is not enough in your life, what else would it take for us to be saved?
0: And so in, in, in thinking in this direction, I spent some time this week studying the Passover because the Passover is, is such a powerful thing to us in knowing that in that during that spring feast, the Passover, Pesach, it is the 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 feast of celebration of leaving Egypt When uh, the blood applied to the doorpost and the lintel made all the difference And as death came through, the Lord kept his hand on his people And then he walked with them out of Egypt in such a powerful story And I think it's so important for us every day of our lives To realize that we should be celebrating a personal Passover every single day what do you mean, Pastor? I'm saying it is vitally important for us every single day to be certain that the blood has been applied to the doorpost and to the lintel of our lives, to our hearts and to our family. It's important to cover your home every single day. I don't know what God's plans are, but neither did the children of Israel. As we picked up on reading today, you know, I I, I say this quite frequently and I think that it's important to keep in mind as you study the context of the scripture. But it's easy to rejoice with the children of Israel as they walk in and rebuild uh, the, the land and they do everything that God has asked of them to do and, and uh, the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites, they're all driven out the Canaanites, they're all driven out and the children of Israel have occupied the land and angels go before them and fight it's easy for us to read the story and celebrate the, the falling of the walls at Jericho and the great angel of the Lord standing there you know that, that's all wonderful but the reason that's easy for us is because we're reading the end of the story and when you've lived for 400 years in Egypt under bondage and slavery it's hard for you to believe that god's will is any better for you than what you're facing right now and you just kind of resign yourself to the fact that i guess this is what god wants for me and when god is ready for me to come out then i'm going to come out and so i don't i don't really know what else to do but they just kept working and kept doing and finally the lord gets this hebrew boy that he had prepared right in pharaoh's house by the name of moses and he takes him out to the backside of a desert in a circumstance that would have never happened if Moses had not become desperate and had to flee to that wilderness. It's like God almost knows what he's doing. It's like after a while you start picking up on, well, maybe God actually had a plan here. Maybe God really kind of did know what, what, what he was doing. I heard, heard a young man stand up during service one night, he was emceeing the service, and He stood up, you could tell he was kind of nervous, and he said, well, church, sometimes God just knows what he's doing. And I I couldn't agree more. You know, sometimes he just does. It's like all of a sudden when he wakes up and realizes he's God... It's like, oh, yeah, I really do have a plan for them. I really can work this out. I, I really can. I, I want
1: them to know. I, I, just It just dawned on me right now that what they're facing is not going to be the end of their life. What they're going through is not going to be the end. Listen, you may be in a struggle this morning that you're trying to figure out what the end looks like. But I serve a God that knows the end from the beginning. He's not trying to figure it out. He's got a plan. Somebody shout, he's got a plan.
0: God's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. And that plan was, Moses, come out here and talk to me for a little while. Get by yourself. You know, sometimes God can't talk to you in the hustle and bustle. you got to get to a place by yourself where he can speak to you. And then things unprecedented begin to happen that you never dreamed would happen because you have separated yourself to where you can hear the voice of God. Now, this is something that I feel that... Again, if neglected, uh, it would be an absolute shame for us if we did not realize that the voice of God, the voice of God never stops speaking in the earth. God is speaking all the time, everywhere. He is omnipresent, He's omniscient. He knows all and He's everywhere. God is speaking right now. The issue, I feel, is not that He is not speaking anymore. The issue is that we can't hear Him. How many of you today still ever listen to FM or AM radio? Okay. How many of you realize that just because you shut your car off and you can't hear it, that that frequency is still roaring right now? Somebody somewhere is listening to what you would be hearing if you were tuned in. I'm not real. I think some of you are picking up what I'm putting down right now. Somebody somewhere is hearing the voice that you would be hearing if you were on the right frequency. So you can't be getting mad at people that have connected themselves to the frequency where God is speaking.
1: Ah, oh, come on, let me just love on you for a minute as your pastor this morning and tell you. He hasn't quit speaking. He has a word for you. But you've got to be on the frequency where God is speaking. You can't be on the frequency of this world and hear the voice of God.
0: And so Moses, Moses has to get himself in the right place at the right time for God to speak. And oftentimes before the word of the Lord comes, you're going to find that it's in seasons like this of isolation and darkness where it feels like there really are no answers. And this is exactly where Moses is. He's, he's kind of running. He's confused. He's created a mess. He doesn't really know for sure what's going to come next. And in times like that, the thing that you need most is not an answer as much as it is that you need the answer. And so I feel like today that some folks in this house are searching for an answer. Lord, how do I get relief from this? And what you're, what you're wanting is relief from a symptom. But it's true that the reason why people are, me, are, are addicted to medications, even prescription medications that a doctor can give them, the reason why they are addicted to those medications is not that their reality has changed. It's that their reality has become obfuscated with something that desensitizes their reality. There are people that live with chronic pain in their bodies. It could be two bones grinding against each other, a vertebra grinding against another. It could be uh, a, a knee that the cartilage has been wore out and it's gone. And so... You can take enough pain medication that you learn to live with the pain. But it's just that you're desensitized. The issue is still there. If it's broken, it needs to be fixed. And, and, and that's truly the way that we approach the presence of God oftentimes. Is by saying, Lord, I want you to medicate this situation. I am, I am sick. I have a sin sickness. I have an issue in my life. And we want God to deal with symptoms. But the symptoms are a byproduct of a heart issue that have to be dealt with. Something inside of that human being is broken that needs to be dealt with. That addiction is not just because you woke up one morning and said, Oh, I think I want to fall in love with drugs. No, no, no. You fell out of love with reality and had to find something to replace joy because there was no joy in reality. And that's the danger of a temporary fix. And that's how we approach God often with prayer Lord, please fix this, take the storm.
1: Take the pain. Move the mountain. And God's not moving the mountain and he's not taking the pain. And it's not going to happen. He's not going to remove the storm. Because there are seasons of life that you're going to have to live through. That you cannot live through spiritually medicated, so to speak. And learn what God is trying to teach you and what God is trying to do for you. I know, I know, I know that it would be a whole lot better if you were standing on ground, hunkered down in a house while the storm is raging in your life but one thing you've got to know sir, Mr. Peter is that the will of God for you was not to be back on land while the storm was raging the will of God for you was to be on that vessel while the storm was raging because if you weren't in the storm and saw him bring peace you'd never know how he can work it doesn't mean the same thing to somebody that's never left the port for a storm to be calm in their life it doesn't mean the same thing to somebody that hasn't been through what you've been through but what you're going through right now is going to become the testimony that begins to frame you and mold your character and make you into what God wants you to be do not hate the storm
0: somebody shout God has a plan so Moses is walking in a wilderness by himself, probably some anxieties and dealing with some things. And what do I do next? What's my next step? Where do I go? When all of a sudden he sees a bush that is not consumed, but's burning and a voice comes out of that bush begins to speak to him. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Just me. If I'm by myself, And a tree starts talking. I'm going to leave the wilderness pretty quick. I'm going to go back and be like, Pharaoh, whatever you've got to do to me, do it, man. I'm hearing some crazy stuff. This is insane. What should I do? What should I do? And the Lord says, here, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You didn't think you could handle any more, but let me put something on you. What? I'm getting ready to reveal to you, Moses, your purpose for living. The reason why you were put in an ark, put into the Nile River, and I ordered the steps of Pharaoh's daughter and her entourage to find you and to bring you back into Egypt, into into Pharaoh's house. I'm getting ready to reveal to you the reason why you've been through what you've been through is because I'm getting ready to show you what I'm going to do through you. Oh, I'm, I'm preaching to somebody I got about a half dozen people right now that bells are going off in your head and you're
1: saying oh my God it's starting to make sense hey I want to tell you that God does not waste what you've been through God doesn't throw away what you've been through I know it may have created some scars for you I know you may have felt rejected at the time but honey I got to tell you today he's a good record keeper and he knows every move that you made he's seen every tear that you've You've cried. He's known every bit of pain that you've been through, and all this time, he's been molding your character. He's been shaping you in the image of God. Well, I could sure do without my
0: wilderness, than you got to do without the burning bush. Well, I'd sure like to live without my Patmos, than you live without your revelation. I think this is where the tough get tougher or they just quit. It's hard to be molded. You go ahead and let him carry you to a a brook called Cherith. It means cutting. I'm a prophet of God. He ought to know better than to put me here. Yeah. (laughs) He does. He knows better prophet of God because he has a plan. Yeah, well, shouldn't the prophet of God seen that? No, the scripture said that he even hides some things from men of God. That if they were to see it, they wouldn't understand it anyway. So let me just put you over there at Cherith and let me do a work for you. Hey, listen to what pastor's trying to encourage you with right here. I know this sounds insane right now. And I know it feels like it's crazy what you're going through. But can you imagine the miracle working power and the wonder of God when the prophet of the Lord sits up and says, Boy, I'm kind of hungry. i hungry. I don't really, I don't know what I'm going to eat. And all of a sudden he looks up and here comes a raven. And the raven's got food in his mouth. And the raven begins to bring food and drop it off to the prophet. Well, that's supernatural, Pastor. That's crazy. How does that happen? It happens at at a place of cutting. It happens at a place of separation. It happens when you get weary. It happens when you don't know what step to take next. It happens. Come on. It happens when you feel
1: like you're the only prophet left. And you, you don't know what in the world to do. And so you head out into a wilderness place. And you look up and the angel of the Lord says, hey, right over there, under that tree, there's a cave that's baking for you it's in places just like this that the provision of God is seen it's in places just like this where you don't know what to do next that a burning bush is going to set the course of your destiny
0: if you're still with me say amen Amen. if you're ready to quit and go home don't say anything praise God Man, I I guess that's my permission to keep preaching. God has a plan. Do you believe that this morning? God has a plan. And here's his plan. He said, you know, Moses, there's there's probably some things that need to be adjusted for the people to see you the way God wants them to see you. And so we're going to go through some order here. He said, I want you to go back to them and I want you to talk to them concerning not what you have to say, but what the God of their fathers has to say. Say to them that the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has sent me here. Say to the elders, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Why? Well, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a people that have been living under the oppression of an Egyptian society and a, and a pharaoh and a man who was raised in the house of more than likely that, that pharaoh's father, uncle, whatever, but it connected in some way. Moses was raised in that household. As a, as a Hebrew, there may, there may have been some issues to say, well, you know, I'm, I don't really know where he stands and, and for him to just come, what if this is another trick of the enemy? Pastor, why are you, why are you doing this? Because I'm trying to help somebody right now. I, I want to help you understand. It's in times like this that you cannot afford to have confusion. That when God is trying to do a work in you of deliverance, you cannot be saying, well, what if it's the enemy? Well, here's the first thing you need to know. The enemy doesn't want you to leave Egypt. So if the voice that's speaking to you is saying come out of Egypt, then that is not of the enemy. If the voice is telling you come closer to God, if the voice is saying draw near to God, that is not the enemy. You become hell's worst nightmare when you begin to realize who you are in God and what God wants you to do. And if the enemy is speaking to you, he's not going to be saying to you, come closer to God. Be in the house of God more. Do more for God. That's not the enemy. You can discount what he's saying immediately when he starts saying to you, you're getting too close to God. You're spending too much time in the house of God. You're spending too much time around the people of God. That is the enemy. That right there is always going to be the enemy. It's going to be the enemy that speaks in your ear and says, whatever Moses is telling you, that's not. it is not the will of God for you to come
1: out of bondage. It's the will of God for you to stay right here. That, my friend, is the enemy. But I've got good news for you on that. He don't know how to tell the truth. And he's the father of every lie. So everything that he's told you and everything he's promised, my God have mercy. The enemy may have told you today that it was over. The enemy may have told you today that you were done. But he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. So if the devil told you you're finished, then let the Holy Ghost tell you today, I'm just getting started. The enemy's told you you're done. But I'm just getting started.
0: So more pressure comes, he puts it on him, he says, listen, go back and tell them, go back and tell them I need to do a work. Somebody say, God has a plan. I'm trying to hurry up and get where I'm going. He says, okay, well, you want me to tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said, now think about this church, we're over 400 years in slavery, and the Lord says, go back and tell them. That you want to leave for three days. <laughs> three days? We've been here over 400 years. I don't want three days. I want to leave. I don't, I don't want to be stuck here for three days. I want to leave. Well, listen... According to Genesis, the 47th chapter, if you go back through Joseph and his working in Egypt, you find out that the children of Israel did not belong to Egypt, they belonged to Pharaoh. 47th chapter of the book of Genesis said that everything in Egypt except for the priests of Egypt belonged to Pharaoh. Now this is interesting. Because the very man that Moses is talking to is the very man that has the power to set free or, 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 or to save or whatever he chooses to do. So this is not an Egypt problem necessarily. This is, a, this is a Pharaoh problem. And so he's got all the power and the Lord then in this moment hardens the heart of Pharaoh. and He does not let the people go. Now I'm going to preach and fast forward so put on your seatbelt. belt. And stay with me for just a few moments right here. I don't have time to preach all of this in depth. But I want you to stay with me right here. And I want to help you understand something. Between this time. When the Lord says let my people go. And the time that they get to walk out. There are ten plagues that stand between them and deliverance. And I know that people have said this plague was to soften the heart of Pharaoh. It was to soften the heart of Pharaoh. But listen to, Pastor, when I tell you this morning that not every plague we go through is to affect Pharaoh only. Something has to happen in the heart of a Hebrew that says, you know what? Egypt may just be comfortable enough that I could stay here forever. But after all of these plagues, I think I'm ready to go. There's something about humanity that loves life We love being together. We love, we enjoy things in this present world, and that doesn't make you a sinner. But I'm just telling you that until we get so sick of this world, that heaven is the only answer. There will be no exodus from this world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Let me preach to you
1: and tell you right now. That those plagues, that pestilence that came over the land of Egypt, was I I believe, was as much for the Israelite as it was for the Egyptian. The Israelite had to realize that the only thing that will ever be in Egypt is heartache and heartbreak. And if God has made a way for me to walk out, then I'm going to walk out this is your window of opportunity if you're a Hebrew and you want to get out of Egypt you got to be so sick of Egypt that nothing can hold you here be you sick of it and this is why
0: I preach on a frequent basis to this church, it is not enough to love God you must despise iniquity it is not enough to just love the promised land, you've got to despise Egypt, you cannot just go to heaven because you have
1: desired to go to heaven, you'll go to heaven when you learn to despise this present world, Demas did not forsake the apostle because he loved heaven, he forsook the apostle because he loved this present world, we've got to get out of love with this world and fall in love with Jesus.
0: I got to hurry. I got to hurry. So he said three days. We're going to go th- for three days. For what? Three days so that we can go sacrifice. How, how discouraging does it sound? And, and, and I understand they were probably happy to be able to do it, but how discouraging does it sound that in a time when you're exhausted and you're weary and you're wore out, that the Lord would send a messenger and say, I'm calling for sacrifice. Oh, don't miss what I'm telling you right here. You want freedom from Egypt, and the Lord's calling for sacrifice. If I had about six months, I could preach that one idea right there. Some of us feel like the way to get out of what we're in is less sacrifice, and the Lord said, oh, no, no. What I'm looking for is somebody that's willing to sacrifice when it feels like one. I'm looking for somebody that's going to sacrifice when it really feels... Listen, we don't understand true sacrifice until it feels like a sacrifice, until it feels like something has died within us. And the Lord said, this is going to be a big one. I want you to call them out and tell them we're going to go out into the wilderness for three days and celebrate one of the feasts of the Lord. And we're going to sacrifice unto the Lord. I'm telling you right now, church family, that it didn't feel like God had had a plan when they were wanting eternal deliverance and the Lord said go tell them I want to give you three days but here's what you must know is that they were owned they were literally owned by Pharaoh he controlled everything about them He controlled who they were, what they did, how much liberty they had, and all of the above and everything after that. He
1: controlled them and manipulated their lives. Whatever he wanted them to do is what they were going to do. And finally, the Lord softens the heart of Pharaoh, and they're allowed to walk out. And for three days, the
0: children of Israel traveled into the wilderness. Somebody say God has a plan. They traveled for three days into the wilderness. And now, I've came to give God sacrifice. I've obeyed God walking three days into a wilderness place. Left behind everything we had to call a home. Now we're three days into the wilderness. And all hope is gone. Now the Egyptians have surely conquered them at the Red Sea. Death was imminent, there was no way around it, now we're stuck. We obeyed God, came out here to sacrifice, now we've got nowhere to go. And the Lord looks down at Moses and he says, son, quit looking for answers everywhere else. Take now the rod that is in thy hand and stretch it out. Listen." To everybody that was following him, it looked like an old beat up stick that a shepherd would have used while watching and keeping Jethro's sheep. But something happened when that old shepherd. Walked up to a burning bush. And God said, I can take a stick that's in your hand and do more with it than you could do in a lifetime. And he took that rod and he stretched it out over that water. And can I tell you, you don't have to believe this. If you'd rather believe the History Channel, that's all on you, baby. But I want to tell you what I believe. I don't believe they walked through in three inches of water. I don't believe they found the most shallow place they could in the Red Sea. I don't believe believe that. You've probably heard me say this a half dozen times before, but it makes me want to puke when I listen to people trying to talk about how it God really wasn't as powerful as they said he was. I heard a scientist one day trying to explain how it was that the children of Israel, the water didn't really part, they went across in three to four inches of water and made it all the way across. And I just stood, I wish there would have been somebody there to record me. They probably would have put me in the hospital. I'm like, you big dummy.
1: If you really believe that they walked across on three inches of water, then so be it. Because the rest of the story then is that God drowned Pharaoh, his army, the horse, and the rider in three inches of water. You cannot discredit God. You cannot disprove God. He's a God that'll take what you've got in your hand and say, Moses, trust me. It may look like a rod to you right now, but take what I put in your hand and stretch it forth across your impossibility and watch me work for you, Moses. And all of a sudden... He took what he had in his hand and all of the doubt and the confusion abated. All of of the circumstances seemed to become irrelevant because God showed up on the third day at the last minute when it looked like there was no hope and the waters began to part and the wind began to blow. He's a God that has a plan.
0: I'm never going to finish this, so let me just jump to the end. He said, let us go for three days. They walked three days into the wilderness. And it's something about the power of that third day that Pharaoh has a change of heart and mind. he comes pursuing after them. And again, I know it feels like God's against you. Because the things that you've been running from are now pursuing you again. I need to get this in somebody's heart this morning. This is what God sent me here to preach. Can you imagine finally being three days free from over 400 years of trouble and looking behind you and the very thing that you've been trying to get away from now has you pinned against impossibility. I'm saying to you today that before you truly break free from the things of your past, you're going to have to make it through a season of God finding out how bad you really want to be free. And the Bible tells us the children of Israel stepped off in dry land, and they walked across, and I could preach about it all day. I love to preach about it. They walked to the other side. But listen, as they came up on the other side, they walked down into that mighty Red Sea as dead men. If God fails right now, we're done. We've got no other place but to trust God. And they walk off in there. Folks, I can't imagine. I'm trying to hurry up and close here, but I can't imagine. Somebody had to be on the outside of that, you know. They walked so many wide. Somebody was in the middle, but somebody was on the outside of that thing. And When they looked up, all they could see was a wall. Look like a canyon. I mean, can can you just imagine this? You're walking along this huge canyon, and you know it's not rock. And you look over, and there's a fish just looking you right in the eye. (laughs) Caleb Gresta said, I ain't wasting that. I'm grabbing that sucker. (laughs) Caleb's the only one I know to be fishing while they're trying to part the Red Sea. They're walking through their impossibility, and it still feels impossible because when you, oh, I just brushed up against it. Do not touch the water. And a little junior runs over, and they're like, oh, look, Mommy. Get over here right now, or I'll kill you. <laughs> Don't touch it. And all of a sudden, they realize that what they're going through is now coming to an end. It was a long, hard night. But they walked off into this trial as dead men walking But as they walked up the other side of the banks It was as though they had walked into resurrection power There's something so incredible About being able to pass through water As a dead man But when you come up on the other side of the water You're not a dead man anymore You're walking in resurrection power With every step that they came walking out of that
1: red sea They weren't just another step closer to the promised land. They were one step closer to destroying what had been pursuing them behind them. Because the power of that third day is that when they walked through the water and came out, everything that had identified them for 400 years now was buried in the water that they... The Bible said that Pharaoh, his horse, the rider, all of his men, they were buried in that watery grave when the children of Israel came walking through. I know some just say it's a baptistry. I know some just say it's a pool. I know some say it's just water. But the power of the third day is understanding. On the other side of the grave, there is a resurrection. (laughs)
0: I'm finishing Israel went down in a dreadful sea but came up a resurrected people I'm telling you that when Messiah laid down in a grave he went in a dead man and people thought it was over but just about the time they thought it was over On the power of the third day, there was resurrection that came to his body. And that spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to raise us and quicken our mortal bodies. And I want to tell you that before that day comes and he has to resurrect me from the grave... He said that he would resurrect me from sin. I was born in sin and I was shaping in iniquity. I was born into sin from my mother's womb. I don't care how perfect you act
1: like you are. You were born a sinner and you're a sinner until the grace of God reaches down and touches you. You are a sinner until you repent of your sins and go down in that watery grave of baptism in Jesus' name. You are a sinner until the breath of God blows on you and you get under the cloud of that wilderness and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But I've got good news for you today. You may have been born a sinner, but you don't have to die a sinner. You can be born again.
0: I'd love to talk to you about the beginning of the barley harvest. I'd love to talk to you about the Feast of First Fruits and how it was we can compare this story coming up out Of the Red Sea that we began first fruits. Understanding this principle that on the day Jesus resurrected. He resurrected during the Feast of First Fruits. Only for 50 days later. For him to breathe breath into his children at Pentecost. And understanding that for 47 days... I love this. For 47 days they traveled from the other side of the Red Sea to the Mount of Sinai where the Spirit of God came down and breathed. I was reading some literature this week that began to talk about the voice of God speaking at Sinai when he began to give the commandments and he said God did not only speak in the Hebrew language that the children of Israel could understand but they they were saying that it was their belief that the the voice of God spoke in every language known to the earth at that moment and began to speak like echoes uh, dancing off of The hills that God came down to speak to let the whole world know that this is my plan and I have a plan and I'm not going to forsake you. And do you understand that this was the beginning of what we call the Feast of Shavuot? Shavuot. This is the Feast of Pentecost, and it was the Feast of Pentecost on the day of Pentecost when it was fully come in the Book of Acts, the second chapter. That on the very same day that God visited them in the wilderness and breathed breath into them, and the law of God came
1: on that very same day in Jerusalem on the mount of Zion in an upper room that same breath that blew on the mount of Sinai began to blow into that upper room that's why there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them what was it pastor it was the voice of God speaking through his people again because he has a plan
0: Let's stand together. Why did God tell them to come out for three days? Because three days was all he needed. And at the end of that three days, he buried their owner and his army in the Red Sea. Some of you are trying to figure out how God is going to do a 40 year work in three days, and he's not. He's only going to do the first part in the first three days. And then he's going to work on you through the process of your life until you get to the promised land. But you'll never understand Sinai 47 days later until you understand that he's got you right now walking through the Red Sea. And he's going to bring you out on the other side. Don't leave this house today feeling hopeless. Don't leave this house feeling today like you've sinned so badly that God can never forgive you again. Don't you leave here today letting the devil beat your brains out and tell you it's over for you. The devil is a liar. God has a plan. You can come up out of a terrible
1: pit today. You can come up out of your sin and your shame. You can come up out of your grief and your misery today. God can heal your heart and your mind. Would you let him touch you
0: today?